Rewrite's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2020 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read historical fiction that's not about World War II. Check out a retelling of a classic or fairy tale. Pick up horror from indie presses and even more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge with a bonus prize this year. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 243, and today we are talking about books being released on January 21st, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Maria Christina Garcia Lynch, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. How's it going? Hey, it's going pretty well. I I am switching into grown-up alone mode now that my kid is finally asleep. Uh, but, you know, it's only you and all the books, so I don't have to be too grown-up, because this is fun. Yeah. This is a fun way to spend the evening. I should mention that it's like... Uh, one thirty in the morning, your kid's been up all night drinking whiskey and playing <laughs> poker, and we just finally got her to go to bed. We had to bribe her. Oh, man, and like all of that whiskey, you'd think she'd sleep soundly, but... <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to start off just by talking nonsense, because that's what I do. Do it. Um, so here's something unusual that happened that I just thought I would share. I don't really know why, because I, but I don't like know what it was. Uh, last night, I was sitting on the couch. It was like 1030 at night. And I'm pretty sure I don't believe in ghosts. But if I did, I would say that the a ghost bowler threw a bowling ball in my house. Now, you didn't expect any of these words to come out of my mouth, did you? <laughs> that that seems like it's magnetic poetry, like just <laughs> a bunch of words. I, we can't explain it. We cannot explain it. Like, I was sitting on the couch. My boyfriend was asleep. Wait, wait, wait. Was it the sound or was there just all of a sudden a bowling ball in your home? No, no. So, like, my boyfriend's asleep. The cats are in the bedroom asleep with him. I'm sitting on the couch, and just for, like, a brief few seconds, it sounded like a bowling ball was rolling down the wooden floor next to the couch, and there was, like, this vibration, and it was so loud that my boyfriend was like, what is that? As I'm thinking, what is that? And he opens the door, and the cats come running out, and their tails are all, like, five <laughs> times the normal size. We have no... And it, it... That's the only thing I could think it, that it sounded like. I have no idea what it was. Nobody knows. No, like no one ran their truck into our house. It was it was just this very loud noise that kind of shook the floor for a few seconds, and so I think I have a ghost bowler. That's amazing. Yeah, that is that is some awesome, awesome. Like like I just need to go and reread Bowl Away now, imagining it <laughs> happening in your home. Yeah, it was uh, it was very strange. So I thought I'd share it with you. Um, you know, so later on when. You know the the nice people come to t- to take me away. <laughs> I'll be like ghost bowler. I don't even know anybody who bowls. Well, now you're just gonna have to keep us updated about any future sightings, yeah. or or would it be hearings? Yeah, it was probably something like you know the pipes you know shook for whatever reason, <laughs> but it was very strange. So of course I like to share all my embarrassing moments and strange thoughts out loud with everyone. So. Um, now I'm going to tell you about some other people's thoughts and imagination and things that they've made with their brains. Uh, before I do that, uh, we're going to hear from our first sponsor, 
This episode is sponsored by American Dirt by Janine Cummins. On this side, too, there are dreams. Lidio Quixano Perez runs a bookstore in the Mexican city of Acapulco. She has a son, Luca, and by and large, they live a fairly comfortable life. But when Lydia's wonderful journalist husband publishes a tell-all profile of Javier, the jefe of the newest drug cartel, Lydia and eight-year-old Luca are forced to flee. None of their lives will ever be the same as they join the countless people trying to reach the North. Everyone is running from something, but what exactly are they running to? Pick up American Dirt by Janine Cummins wherever books are sold or find the link in our show notes. And now... Back to things from people's brains. And actually, it's kind of fitting that we're talking about brains because my first pick is called The Blaze. It's by Chad Dundas. It's a mystery novel. Um, Content warning, there'll be discussions of war and suicide. Uh, It is about a young man named Matthew Rose. And when the book opens, he is sitting in the back of a Humvee in the middle of Iraq. He is a soldier. He's He's riding with fellow soldiers. But here's the thing. He doesn't know who he is or how he got there. He just kind of comes to, recognizes the situation for what it is, but not who he is or who any of these people in the truck are, and it kind of goes from there. And as we get into the story, we learn that a couple of weeks before that, there was an explosion, um, and Matthew Rose has suffered a traumatic brain injury. So he now has amnesia, and... A few, he gets like horrible headaches. He gets very sick. And eventually he is discharged uh, from the army. He goes home to his mother's house in Florida, even though he only knows that because someone told him that's where she lives. And, you know, he doesn't remember her. Uh, and he learns from her that, you know, she divorced his father many years before. And before he went off into the army, he and his father like pretty much hated each other. Um, they didn't get along. They lived in Montana uh, until his mother left and, and moved to Florida. Um, and he doesn't know, but now he hears that his father has died by suicide. And so he decides that he's going to go to Montana and see where his father lived, look at the town where he grew up because he doesn't remember it, um, get some things of his father's and because he's not really doing much of anything else. So he gets a plan- on a plane. He goes to Florida. He gets picked up by his ex-girlfriend, Georgie. Um, they've known each other since they were babies. They grew up together. They were high school sweethearts. But for some reason, they broke up. And you can say, like, I don't even have to, like, be vague about, like, you know, I don't want to spoil it for you because he doesn't know why they broke up, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he he talks to her and, you know, learns that, like, they kind of grew apart and he sort of changed at some point. And the first night that he's there, he decides to take a walk around the town and he comes upon a house fire and learns in the morning that the house, he's, like, taking pictures and he's, you know, like, just looking around. He learns in the morning that the house was burned down on purpose. It was arson, and there was a college student inside who died. Um, And Georgie is now a reporter, and she is trying to find out what she can about this story from her sources. And she gets back together with Matthew to talk about things. And so we, we learn a little bit about his brain injury, because it's so strange to me that, you know, I had never really given it much thought, but, you know, he's talking about having amnesia. I'm like, well, if you have amnesia and you don't know who you are, how do you remember how to tie your shoes or drive a car or, you know, what any of the things are around you if you don't remember the times that, you know, you were taught these things? But it turns out that he has something called a diffuse axonal brain injury, which is often caused by explosions and which is he describes it as sort of like when the ocean 
comes in onto the beach and then pulls back like his brain kind of it, it, the concussion you know caused his brain to move inside his skull and while he retains his implicit memories of like how to walk and how to um, tie his shoes and, and what a fork is he no longer uh, can hold his explicit memories or his biographical memories he can make new ones he's like he's like a, he's got a clean slate from like now you know going forward he remembers everything now but um he doesn't know you know his old and it was really interesting to read about because when you see those things on TV, it's like somebody gets conked on the head, and you're yeah. just like, hmm, yeah. that's really convenient. Like, how does that work, you know? <laughs> but, so here's Matthew. He's in this town with his ex-girlfriend. He doesn't remember, doesn't know any of these people. Um, He does have this one, he keeps having this one dream where he's being chased in the woods by these men who are calling his name. Uh, And he does have one memory that he's like, while he's in this town in Montana, he suddenly remembers that there was a fire 15 years earlier. He didn't know it was 15 years earlier until he looks it up. But he remembers that the local candy store burned down and this is an actual thing that happened. And, you know, as he's learning about his father, his father was a very successful poet. And then all of a sudden sort of became very um, withdrawn and paranoid. And, you know, like I said, they, he and Matthew were not on good terms when Matthew left. Um, He's trying to figure that out. He learns that there is a connection between the candy store fire and the fire that he witnessed the first night that he was there. So I'm not going to tell you any more about the plot, but it's it works in that there's so much danger in not knowing. Like, he's greeting people, seeing walking around the town. You know, he doesn't know any of these people, but they know who he is, and they know that at some point he knew who they were and what they've done, you know, and are they good people or are they bad people? You know, it's kind of like... When you were when you were a little kid, did you ever hear about people that had the ability to not feel any pain? Yes, which and which sounded cool. like yeah, it sounded like a really great thing, right? That you couldn't feel pain, but then and it's so it was explained exactly. It's explained to you that like you might not be able to feel pain, but if you put your hand down, yeah. you know, on a burner on a stove, that's really bad still, you know. And that's exactly what it's kind of like. Is like he doesn't know who these people are, and he's interacting with them, but any one of them could be. A horrible person, you know, connected to these fires or, or the other things that are going on, you know, that he's sort of kind of beginning to remember. Um, it's very, it's very Memento. I love Memento. It's just like, <laughs> like I saw that movie in the theater so many times. Um, and it, it's just so fascinating because I'm completely fascinated by brains, especially after the year that I had last year in which, you know, it was all kinds of weird things going on in my head. So um, it's, it's very well done. You know, it's also like a, a really, like important look at just you know war and trauma um so i found it very well done it is called the blaze and it is by chad dundas awesome um okay i am going to take things back a little bit to a book that came out last year but is new this week in paperback which is a great opportunity for anyone to pick it up who missed it the first time around. It is A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World by C.A. Fletcher. And as the title suggests, this is a uh, a book that takes place in the post-apocalyptic world. Um, There's been some unspecified disaster that happened in the past um and it's you don't really get too many details about it but this this first person narrator you know doesn't really have that many details to give you so that makes sense but but something happened in in what they called the before 
that affected humanity's fertility. So that birth rates just started plummeting and it turned out that only like the, the population dropped so that there were only one in a million people left, basically. Um, and and this this character who is taking us on this little this journey, her name is Grizz, and and they live on the the islands it off the coast of Scotland, known as the the Outer Hebrides. And that's where this family, um, a mother, a father, and uh, four children, now three since one of them died as a child, uh, have been eking out a small living in this drastically less populated world. Uh, this, this strange thing that happened to, to really reduce humanity's fertility rates has, has also impacted other animals uh somehow or maybe humans did something to limit animals capabilities to reproduce in a post-human world we we don't know but for whatever reason dogs are pretty rare because dogs just aren't having huge litters of puppies anymore and grizz is the the proud owner of two dogs chip and jeff and 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 I say owner, but really they're more like family. Uh, this this is you know one of those things that anyone who has a who who has had a, a really companionable relationship with a pet will will understand uh, that that you know these these guys are just your your dudes, and you got to take care of them and look out for them because you know that they would do the same thing for you. So when a stranger arrives by boat to do some trading, which which in and of itself isn't too too out of the ordinary, um, they this this family wants to hear stories of where this person came from and what they're doing, and and they sit and share stories, and they end up going to bed thinking we'll we'll do our trading in the morning, but when they wake up. It turns out the stranger has dog napped Jess, and Grizz can't let that go and takes one of the family's boats and sets sail, chasing the stranger because, damn it, Grizz is going to get that dog back. And if if you're the type of person who who needs to know that everything's going to be okay for an animal in a book. Um I I really don't want to tell you one way or the one way or another because there's there's this author's note at the beginning that that is basically begging readers not to spoil the book at all. And I was just like, well sure, that that kind of goes without saying, right? Um but I I found that warning increasingly unnecessary as as the book progressed because the 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 book is framed as I'm writing this account down of these things that that happened to me. This this foolhardy adventure that I went on um, that did not end well. There's there's just so much foreshadowing about how wrong this whole this whole thing has gone. And so I'm just like, well, if you're if you're gonna tell us that everything is is terrible, 
anyway, like there's not much to ruin. You're <laughs> you you've got my expectations for the success of this mission pretty low anyway. But um what I came to appreciate the no spoiler plea because there's are some really fantastic, satisfying surprises in this book. Like the just the the skill with which the surprises are like planted but not hinted at so strongly that they are unsurprising uh, but but also the surprise them the surprises themselves are just really really satisfying and it's one of those post-apocalyptic survival adventure stories that actually ends up being hopeful um at the same time that it's pretty it's pretty brutal um so you can you can imagine that there are lots of things in this post-apocalyptic world that are unpleasant so prepare yourself for that and if you you if you really really need to know what happens to to these dogs you can find me on twitter we'll give out my handle at the end dm me and i will let you know if that is the difference between you picking up this book or not because i i really think you should read it and find out what happens to this boy and his dog at the end of the world by C.A. Fletcher. I'll have to ask you after the show, too. <laughs> I didn't read it because I was like, mm. I, I know, I know, right? But, yeah. um, but, but I can let you know. I can let you know if, if that'll, okay. if that'll push you one way or the other. I can do that for you. All right. My next book is a bit apocalyptic, apocalyptic, apocalypsy, something like that. Um, and also a little dystopian, quite dystopian. It is. One of my favorite books of the year. This book just flayed me. It's January, Liberty. Nope. I'm calling it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite books of the year. Plus, I read it, like, last summer. So, you know, like, in, in my year, in Liberty years, you know, it's like, um, this is a total tangent. Like, it's going off. But I watched the new Jim Gaffigan special last night. And he was talking about, like, dog years and, like, what stupid math that is. And, like, there's a dog in a bar. He's, like, you know, it's his third birthday. And he's, like, I'm 21. I'm allowed to drink. Anyway, it was really funny. Anyway, so in Liberty Years, uh, this I read this a long time ago. And this is one of my favorite books of the year. It is Riot Baby by Toshi Anyabuchi. It is so good. A content warning. There is violence, racism, racialized violence, um, you know, death uh, of small children. Uh, so it is a hard-hitting book, but it is so fantastic. Uh, at the beginning of the book, we meet a young girl. She's named Ella. She lives in Compton with a woman she calls her grandmother, who is not her actual grandmother, but takes care of her and does all the things that grandmothers do. Uh, her mom is there with her as well. Her mother is very, very pregnant. Uh, and at this point in Ella's life, she's very small. She's like a, you know, five or six. And she can see, she has a thing. She calls it a thing in her head. And uh, much like Eleven, she gets these nosebleeds. And when she does, she sees things. So she sees a neighbor woman uh, showing her new baby to her grandmother and has an image of this child being caught in the crossfire when there is a gang shooting. Uh, she meets a guy and sees him as an older man being very kind and taking care of people in a nursing home. Uh, she sort of like, can see the future. Um, and around this time, the Rodney King trial verdict is brought down. The police are set free, as we know. This is a real thing that happened. Um, and there are riots, and during the riots, her mother goes into labor and gives birth to Ella's young brother named Kev. And so then it jumps ahead. They are now living in Harlem. Ella is older. Kev is... you know. 
is like I said, he's a few years younger than her. Um, she's a teenager now. Uh, she has like grown in her abilities. Um, for for instance, at, at the beginning where we learn that she has more powers, there they live in this horrible neighborhood. Um, in a terrible apartment, there are rats in the apartment, and a rat gets into their bedroom, and he wakes her up, and she looks at it, and boom, the rat's head explodes. Uh, so that's a fun oh, power. Okay. That's a fun power to have. Um, you know, and so her powers are getting stronger, and as her she gains more powers, uh, she's also getting angrier at the world. You know, she just wants to protect Kev, and she wants everything to be okay for her mother, and she wants the world to be a better place, and it's really hard. Uh, and as Kev grows up, he's very smart, he's very talented, he makes some dumb mistakes, and he basically uh, ends up in jail, um, basically because he's a young black man in America. Uh, and now Ella has the ability to transport herself, she can make herself invisible, she can do astral projection, she can visit Kev in jail uh, that way, um, she can hear people's thoughts. Uh, and so she goes inside and she tries to figure out, like, what she's going to do for Kev, who is in jail. It's this horrifying place. There's, you know, terrible violence going on inside uh, while he's, you know, worrying about her on the outside. Because her mother knows, like, what Ella is capable of now. And as long, it used to be, like, rules, like, as long as she doesn't do it outside of the house, it's okay. Because what would happen to, to Ella if people found out that she could do these things? You know, like, they would want to dissect her and study her. Um, so she's only allowed to do them in the house. But, like, as her powers grow, it's harder to keep you know, her under control, not like under control, but like keep it a secret. So he's worrying about her while he's on the inside and she's worrying about him, you know, while he's on the inside. Uh, and it, it's just this very intense story about racism and police brutality and incarceration and the black experience in America told through the lens of this love of these two siblings and this young woman who is, you know, coming apart while she's trying to say that well, she just wants peace and love you know, for the for the world and for her family. And, you know, they're both, like, literally imprisoned in their own ways by the injustice in the world. Like I said, it's super intense, but it's very short. It's a novella. It's only 170 pages. And it's so fantastic. It is called Riot Baby. It is by Toshi Onyabuchi. Awesome. Um, I've got a pretty brief um, novella, too, for my next pick. And it's The Sweet Indifference of the World by Peter Stamm, that's Stamm with two M's, translated by Michael Hoffman, and that's Hoffman with two N's. Uh, this is, it's a, it's a trippy little, like, mind-twisting, but sweet, as, as it says in the title, uh, novella that starts out with this, this first-person narrator who has invited a woman to a cemetery for a chat. A weird place to meet someone, but uh, as he tells her, he doesn't want them to be disturbed. And they go on a long walk, and he introduces himself. His name is Kristoff. He is an author, and he tells her story about his life and his relationship with an actress named Magdalena. And it turns out this woman on this walk is an actress whose name is Magdalena, but she goes by Lena, and she is dating a man named Chris, and they seem to be living the same lives as Kristoff and his Magdalena, only like 15 years behind. 
Um, and, you know, with some deviations, because 15 years ago, Kristoff and Magdalena didn't really have cell phones, but occasionally on this walk, Lena is, is checking in with Chris by text message. And Kristoff is telling her the story about the first time he ran into or, or encountered Chris, uh, who he comes to think of as his doppelganger, even though he's also like about 15 years behind. Um, and how, and, and he tells her the story about how he became kind of obsessed once he discovered this, this younger man who, who looked like him and seemed to be doing the same things as, as he had done in the same sequence. Um, and he, he talks about how he had, he had run into him because he had written a book that had taken him back to his, his hometown on a book tour. And this young man was, was in that village that he grew up in. Um, and at various points, he ends up encountering him again. And he had this really amazing thing with Magdalena that, that fizzled out. Uh, and one of the reasons why he's, he's obsessed with this, this younger set, uh, is that he, he kind of, it, it feels a little bit like a do-over and he, he is, I don't know, he's, he's kind of ensorcelled by this, this younger version of Magdalena. It's Magdalena again, but in, in this new person and, and she's talking about how she has a lot of the same memories that he had and it becomes so confused in the book, uh, but in a good way, in an unreliable narrator way, in an unreliable reality way, um, where the guy then starts wondering, I've got a doppelganger, but am I myself the doppelganger of someone else who's older? Um, and are my memories even really real? Uh, do I belong to myself or am I a person who belongs to my doppelganger? And it's just so trippy and weird and it, it might be a lot to hold on to if it were a super epically long, um, like novel. It, cause it, it does go back and forth between Kristoff telling the story in the present day and and then the story itself, um, and the the things that Lena is saying seem to confirm Kristoff's reality. And in a few chapters later, it seems like that reality that had been established has shifted now, and no one's commented on it. And it's just it's just one of those things like a dream where you jump from one place to another, and it's. It, it was a lot of fun to read and it was wistful. I, and I really don't know how else to describe it because it, it is just so trippy. Um, it's a short little novella. Pick it up. It is The Sweet Indifference of the World by Peter Stam, translated by Michael Hoffman. All right. Before I tell you about my next book, we're going to hear about our second sponsor. Mm. This episode is sponsored by Simon & Schuster's Children's Publishing and This Little Dreamer by Joan Holub and Daniel Rood. 
Learn all about dreamers who change history in this engaging and hopeful board book perfect for dreamers in training. Highlighting 10 memorable dreamers who paved the way, parents and little ones alike will love this inspirational primer full of fun, age-appropriate facts, and bold illustrations. That's This Little Dreamer by Joan Hollip and Daniel Rude, out now wherever books are sold from Simon & Schuster Children's Publishing. And now we're going to hear about my next pick. Uh, I really didn't plan to have this many books about the future and dystopias on the show today. Um, it just kind of happened that way. Uh, I picked the ones I liked the best. And so my next pick is also about a future and uh, kind of like Riot Baby. It's, you know, a little bit different. Uh, it's The Seep by Channa Porter. Uh, there is content warning for violence and suicide and chemical dependency. Um, it is about a trans woman named Trina. Trina is an artist, and she is the partner of Diba. They live in San Francisco. And when the book opens, aliens have come to Earth. And they are called the Seep. They are beings without corporeal form. And so they get sort of passed around in water and bodily fluid. Ah. And so if you drink some water with the Seep in it, all of a sudden, they're like a, they're like an alien tranquilizer. And the people of Earth are, like, getting infected with the seep through these things. And suddenly, everything seems kind of ridiculous. Like, why are we fighting? Why is everything so hard? Why should some people have more than others? You know, why, you know, are all these things that are the constant problems of the world, they're all fixed. Like, the seep just makes everything better. And now everyone is happy. Everything is groovy. Um, You can, you know... Do whatever you want because you don't have to have money and but nobody's stressed out about like being better than someone or like losing their job or how are they going to come up with the money and nobody is sick anymore. Um, if you have you know some kind of health issue, the seep can fix it. And not only that, but uh, and here's where where it sold me. Um, you can change things about your form so you can get like cat whiskers and a cat tongue. And I was like, sold. I'm in. I will drink the alien water. So that's the technology behind the cat's movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can get deer antlers. You can have hooves. You can, you know, change the whole face that you have. Um, And people are really into this, except for a few holdouts um, who live in what is called the compound. People who are like, "Um, we should not be drinking the aliens. And this is really bad. But for a while, everybody's going like, like Trina k- became a famous artist around the world, but like, so did everyone else because everything was great and everybody loved everything and you didn't have to have money to buy art. So everybody just passed their art around, you know, and so then she changed her mind and she became a doctor. But she starts to become kind of disillusioned with everything. Like everybody just being like, yeah, cool. Check out my new tail. Um, you know, like the, like having parties and just getting along and, and she feels very strange about it. And she no longer wants to drink the seep, you know, and she begins to feel like, not necessarily that you need to suffer for your art, but that, you know, things used to be better, you know, how they used to be. You know, she's like shaking her fist at the clouds, you know, like, you know, in my day. So she decides, like, she doesn't, she's not really into it anymore. Meanwhile, Diba, who was her girlfriend at the beginning of the the book and is now her wife, she see something on what is called the electric spirit that's what they call the internet now um about how you can be reborn like literally reborn like you're you're a child from the beginning again 
And Diba had a traumatic childhood, and she thinks, like, in watching these videos, that this is such a beautiful thing, the the chance to grow up again without those horrible experiences that shape you. Um, and, you know, just, like, growing up in a world full of love and what mm. that would be like. And she becomes very set on doing this, and Trina does not want her to do She's like, no, I, I want a wife. I don't want a child. And she's like, oh, but, you know, we can meet each other and learn from each other in like totally different forms now you know and you could take care of me and she's like i don't want a child i want a wife but diva is set on doing this and so she leaves trina and so now trina is alone in the house uh becomes dependent upon alcohol and spends several years just like very forlorn and sad about losing diva and not knowing what to do until one day a guy comes to the door and says you know you need to get your act together or we're taking your house you know, and she's like, but this is my house. You can't take my house. And like, the, and he says, no, these are new rules in the world of Seep now. You know, all of these pieces of the earth came together. You know, the wood and, you know, everything in the cloth and all the stuff in the in your home came together to make this happen for you. And if you're not going to use it properly, if you're not going to cut your lawn and, you know, to clean up your trash, like, we're going to take it from you. And she thinks like, okay, that's the... It's, that's like a sign I need to split like uh, you know I've had enough of this um, and so when she leaves she meets she encounters a young man uh, who doesn't know anything about what is going on outside and realizes like he is a person who has left the compound the compound where you know people have been living who don't want to get involved with the seep people seep aliens I should say um, aliens are people too in, in this case yes because they're <laughs> literally like driving the cars um, so Trina decides that she is going to help him and ends up going off on this adventure and, and um, it's sort of like uh, a friend of hers becomes an enemy. It's a very unique alien story, you know, actually talking about like love and loss and addiction and identity and what the world looks like when we get, you know, this is like one version of what the world could look like when we get what we want. You know, everybody wants world peace and they want people to get it. Well, not everybody, but the good people want, you know, world peace and for everyone to get along and, you know, you know, to have food and do all this stuff. And like, this is what it looks like when it happens, you know, you know, be careful what you wish for kind of thing. Um, because, you know, alien juice. So um, it is called The Seep. It is by Chana Porter. So like, I was just about to take a sip while you were describing how you can drink aliens. And now I just I I really can't even though I'm very thirsty. (laughs) Oh, oh, I wanted to say one more thing about this book. I almost forgot. It has. So there have been these covers recently. And there are a couple more coming up. And I don't know how to describe them other than like, it's like a black background. And it has like these very stressful floral arrangements. With, like, some sort of, like, fruit or something is rotting or, like, it's covering someone's face. I need to look this up now. It's a stressful floral arrangement. Yeah, so I was trying to come up with, like, an idea. With, so I'm calling them necrofloral covers. And so, like, this one has one. Um, From Hell to Breakfast had one. Their Dark Constellations has one. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay, I see it. Yeah. There's a Jeff Vandermill young, young adult novel coming out in July that has one. It's called A Peculiar Peril. Um, the, there's another book out today called Follow Me to Ground, and it's it's kind of like, it's very like Pan's Labyrinth, where she eats the grapes kind of yeah. looking room. So anyway, I, I've coined this new term, 
necrofloral book covers. Uh, but I, I'm there. Of course, they're my favorites now. I'm like making a collection of them now on you're my seeing desktop. Them everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, enough about the goth flower rot. <laughs> um, your turn. <laughs> Um, well, it's, it's funny that this is just the way that it happens, but I am also on a, a bit of a speculative fiction kick right now. Uh, so my next pick is Remembrance by Rita Woods. This is a debut novel and it, it tells three stories back and forth between all these, these different time periods uh, and places. You've got 1790s Haiti with Abigail, who is a slave. And uh, you've got the 1850s in New Orleans, which uh, follows Margot and her family who are escaping on the Underground Railroad. And uh, they they find a stop that is literally magic. Like, it is protected by a magical boundary. And you've got present-day Cleveland with Gael, who is a nursing home aide, who finds herself caring for an elderly woman who just so happens to have the same heat-producing magical abilities that Gail herself has. Um, and it turns out that Abigail back in 179 back in the 1790s found her way to New Orleans, uh, was rescued and learned magic from her rescuer. These three stories are all related not just because of these supernatural abilities that all of these women encounter and develop and cultivate uh, in themselves and in, in others. Um, there's telekinesis in this book. There is um, like an almost mind-reading type of, of potent empathy. Uh, there's, there's like lots of really cool magical abilities all over here. Um, but that's not the only thing connecting these three different stories. These these stories are related quite literally because all three of these women are related to each other. So it's like a, a little bit of a multi-generational novel, uh, which longtime listeners of the podcast will remember is like my kryptonite. I am I am just always going to say yes to a multi-generational novel. And this is a really fun one. Um, because it also has elements of historical fiction and fantasy. Um, but, but, you know, fun is, is relative because these are, these are women of color during difficult times and, you know, content warnings, enslaved people had, had really, really negative experiences. So, uh, just be warned that, that there's that. But it's it's so I I love seeing these strong women building these communities together and taming something powerful, even if it's just within themselves. It's just it was it it's a real ride. Um, and it is called Remembrance. It is a debut novel by Vita Woods. Okay, 
My last pick is a small one because it is a small book full of small words. It is a book of poetry, which is not something I normally choose. But I've been trying to read more poetry. I have not been very successful. Um, For some reason, it's not the thing that I reach for first. Um, But when I do read poetry, I'm like, that is amazing. Uh, So there was no reason for me not to reach for this book because it is bright fluorescent yellow. It looks just <laughs> incredible. I had a pair of roller skates, shoelaces, this color. Anyway, um, it's called Homie. It's by Dana Smith. Um, they were the NBA finalists with their book of poetry, Don't Call Us Dead, a few years ago. And this is their new collection. Uh, and it is poems about friendship and the search for closeness in a world where personal interactions are harder to find or achieve you know, either because people don't leave the house because they're spending more time working from home or talking to people online or just because you don't have to leave the house as much now. You can buy things online, um, you know, order food, you know. So this is about, you know, how in a world filled with violence and hate and fear. Um, these are some really heavy books that we're talking about today, like, you know, real and, and you know, in the future. Yeah. Um, but like how in, in you know, today's world... Um, how a friend, whether they are, you know, someone um, you are actually related to, you can call your family friends or, you know, found family, which I think I've mentioned this before, but in doing the Book Riot TBR subscriptions, when we ask people, one of the questions is like, what would you like to read more of? In my experience with my subscribers, found family books are the thing that people ask for more and more all the time, which is like, you know, and and that's so great because that's, that's my thing, you know, where I say like, you know, you know, family is a privilege, not an obligation. So like, you know, make family out of the people that, that you want, you know, not the people that you're related to if you, you know, don't get along with them or for whatever reasons. So, you know, it's like about how, you know, family or, or friends, you know, can help you at that moment, you know, when everything seems, like it's terrible and horrible and just hearing from a friend can, you know, lift you up and change everything for you. And, you know, Smith also, it, these poems are, are incredible. Um, like, but it's also about race and, you know, the black experience in America. Um, like the first poem is about called my president and they talk about how, you know, they are nominating, you know, their president, you know, Beyonce and Shonda Rhimes and, you know, Colin, um, Oh God! What's his? I've never actually said this man's name out loud before. It's Colin Kaepernick. Is that how you say his name? Um, like how? Yes. Like how? Like they are voting for them, you know, because they don't live in a world where the people that they identify with and you know they look up to and they see themselves in are you know it, it are held up like you know the people that are in charge right now. And it's just it's so good. Um, also, the the structure of the poems are very different. I know very little about poetry, like very, very little. So, like to listen to me talk, I'd be like, "Well, some of these poems, the sentences are spaced out pretty far, and then some of them are very close." And I don't know what that means, <laughs> but like, they're all very different. And some of them have several lines and numbers, and then some of them have a couple lines in numbers and you know so like i can't tell you anything about poetry i just know that i read it and and it makes me feel things and that's important to me um so you know if you've been thinking about picking a poetry or you know you want to read a really great book uh, it is called homie and it is by dana smith okay so my two takeaways from that are we need a new book riot podcast that is all 
liberty reading poetry and describing <laughs> it for you. Yeah. Um, and two, if you want to hack the TBR subscription service and ensure you get Liberty as your bibliologist, then you need to request a found family book. Oh, yeah, we just gave away the secret. Really. <laughs> I don't know if that'll really, really work. You'll have to subscribe to TBR, try it out, and and we'll see if that's that's how this actually works. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, there's that. And then there's like, um, I want to read something that makes absolutely no sense and that I can't stop thinking about. And it's like, okay, <laughs> I got you covered. <laughs> okay, um, I am going to round out the show today with some nonfiction. It's an anthology called Fight of the Century. Writers reflect on 100 years of landmark ACLU cases. It is edited by Michael Shabon and Ayelet Waldman, and it is pretty much what the what the subtitle says it is. Um, they got a whole bunch of writers. I'm sure our listeners have read at least some of them and loved at least a few of those because they're just they're just all phenomenal phenomenal writers uh and they pick all these cases from district courts and the supreme court in which the aclu participated either as as counsel or submitting briefs as friends of the court um and it goes chronologically uh from the the beginning of the aclu all the way up to the present and these these writers have just these little essays about uh, about these cases. And one of the things that I love about the variety of, of authors they got for this is that each, each little essay is, is different. You've got some that are straightforward. Here's what happened with this, this one particular case. Um, for example, um, editor Michael Shabon tells the story of United States v. One Book Called Ulysses from 1933. And, and the length there seems appropriate, considering it's, it's about Ulysses. Uh, and and he, he says, like, look, this is what everyone involved did to make sure that this case happened, because uh, they wanted a test case for this obscenity law. Uh, and, and, and it's a really riveting tale of of this true story about this really bonkers thing that happened um that ended up in in a victory for people who who like the first amendment uh and and that one that one's a little long but then you've also got some some shorter stories that that aren't shorter essays that aren't really recaps of these historical cases but are more this is this is how the the issues in in this case uh whether or not they were things that the the lawyers involved were actually arguing about but but the themes of this case here's how they have played out in my own daily life um which is a fantastic reminder that these these big cases really do have real world impacts for lots of very real people um for example, you have 
Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka from 1954. Uh, and the writer who takes on that case is Yara Jesse, who talks about growing up and going to school in Huntsville, Alabama, which as of even a couple years ago is, is still super segregated in its educational system because while Brown v. Board of Education famously said that separate but equal is unconstitutional, they did not take the step of, of saying, and you must fix that immediately. Uh, they, they basically left it up to states to fix it at their own pace. Uh, and so it's a, it's a celebration of a lot of victories that, that we've had. If, if you want to believe in, uh, a world that's getting better. Um, but it's also not, it's, it's not blindly uncritical of our justice system. And it's not even blindly uncritical of the ACLU. You've, you've got one essay in there that, that basically says, Hey, you, you were on a, a pretty, pretty, you know, yucky side there when it came to Citizens United. And, and I think it's going to be the wrong side of history, ACLU, and, and you should apologize for that. And I just, I love that that dissent is included in this collection of essays as well. It's, it's very much what the ACLU is about, uh, even defending the, the Bill of Rights when it benefits people who, who are kind of gross because they get, they get the right to say what they want to say to. Uh, and, I I just I loved I loved reading this book. It made it made these cases really accessible, uh, really really human, and I oh, it was it was just really great also to have a taste of a bunch of these different writers who who I love. You've got you've got Lauren Groff, you've got Elizabeth Strout, Jessamyn Ward, Marlon James, Victor Laval, Charlie Jean Anders, uh, and maybe my favorite. My favorite essay in here is uh, by Jacqueline Woodson about uh, the the two cases that that deal that dealt that came out of the whole Scottsboro Boys tragedy. Um, so it, it it's just a fantastic anthology, and it is fight of the century. Writers reflect on 100 years of landmark ACLU cases. All right. We, this is a long one today. Ah! Spent, we had a lot of thoughts about the, you know <laughs> apocalypse, and also I spent some time talking about my ghost bowler. Um, so uh, quickly, what are you going to read next? Um, I am going to read a book that I've been meaning to read just because I like the title. Uh, Will my cat eat my eyeballs? Yay! <laughs> and that is big questions from tiny mortals about death, which is. Which is, it's it's a fun read for me. I'm looking forward to it. But it's also practical because I have a tiny mortal. And one of her friends has been, like, talking to her about death. Uh-oh. And I just, you know, want to make sure that I'm I'm part of that conversation. Uh, because I, I think there's some misinformation going around. Um, <laughs> like, when you die, you just immediately turn into a fossil. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So So, you know, just correcting those uh those misconceptions without instilling fear is is something i think i'd like to have in my toolkit that's pretty good 
Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Um, I can't believe I'm actually saying this out loud. I don't know why I shouldn't be ashamed about anything that I'm reading, but um, in December I read an article uh, in The Cut that was the best book I read in 2019 was this 800-plus page sex memoir, uh, and I went out and bought it. Um, it is... <laughs> When I was 11, I read Andy Warhol's diaries, which were just totally filled with, you know, parties and, like, famous people. And It's not even, like, name-dropping, but I was so taken by it. And this apparently is – it's called Guess Who is the Happiest Girl in Town by Susie Weiss, who was an artist and a model who later became a renowned call girl and madam. And the way that this person wrote about this book is just, like, all she does is talk about the affairs that she had with famous men and women – um, the prose is supposed to be like just so ridiculous at times that it's just turns back around to delightful. Um, you know, some of the things that she talks about, some of the experiences that she had, you know, you, you like, picture people holding the book sideways being like, how is that even possible? <laughs> like, it's it's just so funny. And it's it's amazing because um, I had to send away for it from the UK. And when it got here, I was like, no way is this an 800 something page book. Um, but it turns out that the writing is like footnote size. It's the print. I mean, not the writing, the print. It's so small. I held it up next to a book that was 500 pages long and the 500 page book was actually taller. But the, because the print is so small. I don't know. It. I just thought it would be really funny. I was so taken by this review that I was like, I want to read this. So that is what I am reading now. Um, we're going to be reading when we finish up here, uh, which is is now. That was very fun. Thank you for joining me today. Um, thank you to our sponsors. If you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You know, I can pass on some messages to my ghost bowler if you have any. Uh, you can find us online. Maria Christina is on Twitter at Meowie Christina. It's M E O W Y C R I S T I N A. You can ask her about the dog in her first pick. Um, you can find me online on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you'd like to leave us a treat, uh, or give us a treat. You could leave. Well, you could leave us a treat, but we're not going to say where we live. Um, you can go to <laughs> Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com/slash/all-the-books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading. <laughs>